episode 89 of Running Matters. My name's Matt North. I'm joined with Paul Hadfield. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm well. Friday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. Time for a beer, I think. Yeah, we're in base camp altitude, two and a half thousand metres. We are. We are. It makes uh, the beer taste that much sweeter, actually, the altitude. Yeah. Sydney yeah. Brewery has never tasted better. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we should thank our partners, Ranella, Sydney Brewery, Fractel, Precision Hydration, Goo Energy, Raid Light, Guy Me Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude and Maximum Adventure. Yeah, Maximum Adventure. I'm yeah. booked in for Rafferty's. Are you uh, signed up? I've signed up yeah. and uh, three others have signed up since the last interview out okay. of our group. So oh, good. Yeah, it's good. So, the system uh, works. Yeah, so before we move on, mm. I'll say the code correctly, the discount code for entering. Yeah. RMPOD21. Okay. Yeah. Discount so, on their race entry. Discount on the race entry. So Unreal. get up there and join us for a few Sydney brewery beers. And a run. And a, oh, we're running too. And a run. There will definitely be some running. Good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. All right. Special guest today, Matthew Pello, recent uh, winner of the Ultra Trail 100K. How are you, mate? Uh, very well, thanks. Good day, Matt. Hello, Paul. Yeah, mate. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, amazing, amazing win. Yeah. Were you surprised or were you expecting this? Um, I think you're always going to be a little bit surprised when something like that happens. Yeah. Um, I was expecting to have a good run. I was sort of being a little bit naive, I would say, at the start because I hadn't done that distance before. But uh, managed to play my cards right and had a good day. And, and I got sort of lucky a few occasions. and. And that's the end result, really. It all sort of worked out for me. I'm not sure how much luck's involved there, but yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get into some, some detail about the Ultra Trail stuff soon enough, but I, I want to know, yeah, who is Matthew Pello, mate? So you're Dubbo local, is that correct? That's, exa- that's exactly right. I, um, I'm originally from Dubbo. I grew up out there. I spent the first 20 years of my life out there. Um, interesting upbringing. Sort of didn't live out of town, but my nan and pop were on the farm and... So I got that sort of country country upbringing and got to enjoy running in the heat out there or the cold. So not um, quite used to a forty degree day going for a jog. Well, <laughs> well you can have that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I started pursuing triathlon when I was about fifteen. I got picked up in a scholarship program at school. Okay. And I got a satellite coach from Mudgee, and, um, and that was sort of the start of my endurance adventures I would say um, did a lot of racing and, and sort of chased the triathlon dream a little bit moved to Wollongong when I was 20 and um, connected with a few a good group of people there and kept training kept racing yep. um, developed as an athlete uh, went overseas uh, two or three times mm-hmm. um, managed to race professional for five or six years yeah um, yes, yeah, so I pretty much learned most of my craft from that Control. in terms of endurance racing and what it's like and fueling and all that sort of mm. stuff. And, um, and, gen- and then, yes, yeah, I uh, studied to be a nurse. And once I started working, I sort of got back into endurance training quite seriously. Mm. And I've just sort of find that, found that right balance the last two or three years now. So I've just been, been happily uh, training and and feeding that sort of crazier side of myself where I need to go out and do things that are unusual and but also that balance where I've got I've got like a solid income and 
and sort of yeah, yeah opposing life lifestyles yeah, yeah. yeah. so Mate, that's about where I'm at now so fantastic mm-hmm. and so you say you picked up on a, a scholarship or a program as a 15 year old what what sort of promise were you showing what, what were you um I guess my main promise was uh, I excelled in the beep test okay. I guess they did they did they came around to our school and they used to do generalized testing I think there was a jump a sprint mm. a throw a beep test um, this was uh, Western Region Academy of Sports, so they're based out of Bathurst. Yeah. And basically, um, I got yeah scholarship coach Nick Castellin, who's like an old uh, Ironman sort of out of the Mudgee Tri Club. Mudgee yeah. Tri Club, yeah. yeah. Any everyone out there will know who he is, mm-hmm. and um, that was how it all sort of started. Just like satellite coach and then racing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in the beat test, my the score I got was fourteen five. As a fourteen-year-old. As a fourteen-year-old, yeah. <laughs> Pretty high. That's amazing. Yeah. What, what are you tipping the scales at? Will? Yeah, so my highest is four fifteen seven. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I'm just gonna leave. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, I've never, never. I've been. I've wanted to go back and do it because, yeah. um, you know, after all the training and stuff, just to see what I could get. But I've never actually gone back and done. Another test, really? Yeah. Maybe, maybe um, we can incorporate it into the next beer mile somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that getting Ooh, that real interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. So, with your prior to doing UTA, were you doing Ironman distances? Half Ironman was my specialty. Yeah. Um, I did attempt to step up to Ironman when I was 26, 25, 26. Yeah. Purely because I thought that um, in terms of sponsors and stuff, as a triathlete, what they wanted to see was iron distance athletes successfully doing that race. Mm. I do think I was a little bit early trying to do that, but at the same time, um, I was like willing to give it a go. But half iron distance was my was what I was best at at that time. Yeah. And so you had um, some good success in that distance. Like you won Ballarat half iron man in two thousand fifteen. Yeah, I got a win there. I won uh, Murray man triathlon as well, which is another sort of, it was a bit of a bucket list race for me then, um, and a few shorter races and stuff like that. Yeah. A couple over in the US that, that I went okay at as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, how old were you around that time, sorry, 2015? Uh, I was 25. Okay, yeah. That was, yeah, I was 25. So, so I'm, I was born in 1990, so 25 then, yeah. So quite young in terms of, yeah, endurance. Uh, athletics, I suppose. Yeah, I, I sort of went from I switched from the um, the Olympic distance triathlon scene pretty quickly when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have the speed to go with over like the ten k's, and I always naturally felt comfortable with the distance. So yeah, on like the long rides or on the training runs, I seemed to just feel better and better as the as the ride progressed. So, yeah, and yeah. So that was what sort of pushed me into longer triathlons when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Obviously played out to a hundred k's quite nicely. Yeah. Um, I was looking through the you know results list, and, and you've had that win in two thousand fifteen, and then twenty sixteen you've had a few DNFs, including the the world championships there, um, and then yeah, it looks like there's not as much results coming from that. What what happened around that sort of time? Yeah, so basically I was I was just sort of battling a little bit financially in 2015, 2016. I wasn't really generating much income from it. So it was, it was like racing and working casually sort of part-time and basically it just sort of, it all got a little bit too much. I needed just to take a step back from it and then sort of, and sort of started to 
rebuild myself because I always I always enjoyed like the endurance training lifestyle mm-hmm. and everything that it brings and um, I sort of just rebuilt my life just a little bit to, to find that balance and then I'm back there now yeah. happily um, happily doing it all sort of again unreal but yeah what, what does it sort of mean to turn pro for a triathlete like how, how does that define how is that? so professional like in my head professional means that you're making a living from the sport mm-hmm. but in terms of being a professional in triathlon it's just a category that you're racing in yeah. So, like, you'll have people that can race, you can race professional for quite a lot, for quite a long time, but you'll never actually be... Making cash out of it. Truly. Well. You may make a little bit, normally from prize money, or if you're good with your, like, your social media and stuff, you can make money mm-hmm. on Instagram and stuff like that, but never, like, never, I was never fully sort of dependent from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was always just a bit of, it was always just a, yeah, it was the entry and... Hmm. The, the level that you raised at more than say the the amount of money you generated yeah yeah okay okay i understand you um you would have had some sponsors then have you been since your win at uta have you been approached by other companies uh, I've, I've had a few companies talk to me yes and i've had a couple of um couple of different or a couple of races sort of ask if i wanted to go and do their event yeah to be honest i'm still sort of wrapping my head around everything um so, so yeah, it's still all happening. I've had a few podcasts and stuff as well. It's all sort of, it's all sort of just yeah, slowly progressing now. So, but it's I'm not not a hundred percent sure on where where it'll take me. Yeah. But I'm just at the moment kind of just saying yes to most things and. That's the way. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoying it. I'm, yeah. I'm starting to feel the pressure already about stepping up again next year. Uh, but, Dude, I reckon you look good in a fractal hat. Don't yeah, you a fractal yeah. hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, what events have you got? Have you got anything that you want to do before the end of the year? Oh, um, again, I haven't reset on that either. So I kind of, I sort of focus on my my fitness and stuff rather than picking events. Mm, yeah, and then sort of more last minute. Mm. I'll, I'll, when I know I'm ready to race, I'll just pick something and go to the start line. That's, <laughs> we'll talk about that last it's, year. It's yeah. more of a, <laughs> especially at this time with COVID, I found it's been a much, a much less stressful way mm. for an endurance athlete to train. Like I've seen some athletes that will pick a target event and be training for it for six months out, mm. only to have it cancelled. Like mm. I couldn't really imagine what that would feel like mentally, you know, it'd be quite hard. Yeah. So that's just sort of an adaption that I've made this last year and a half due to the current situation. Yeah, the flag. Yep. I think it's a clever way to do things for sure. Just remain remain fit and then have a crack. Yeah. I think, yeah, for UTA, I probably started targeting sessions um, towards it about six weeks out. Okay. Six weeks was the first time I did a set of stairs. Yeah. And um, within that six weeks, I was able to nail four key sets. Mm-hmm. And that with my base fitness and my triathlon, I spent, um, I mean, the summer that I spent focusing on triathlon, I was able to bring it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll ask you a few questions about that sort of six week lead up in a sec. Um, yeah, yeah. Just want to talk about, I guess the... Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise you guys have already opened your beers. Here yeah. I am sitting here. That's right. You're here to talk, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier for us. So yeah, you spent, spent the summer getting ready for um, the Trex Triathlon in the Snows, which you had another win at, so congratulations on that one. Blue yeah, thank you. That was, again, that was a, um, I got third there the year before, yeah. and I, I've been teaching myself to mountain bike for the last uh, two and a half years now, so that's been a bit of a 
bit of a challenge for me as well. Mm. Yes. And, and so that's so that's an off-road triathlon. Can you explain the distances and the process to the listeners? Um, well, that that race in particular. So it's a it's a, a fifteen hundred meter swim, a thirty k mountain bike on sort of technical single track, mm-hmm. and then a ten k run. Trail run. Too. It's um, it's not like your normal trail run. It's you go through along creeks and you go and sort of okay. You, you're rock hopping and you're doing quite a lot. It's a very slow technical, thing. very slow technical trail run. I think in. In treks this year, I haven't actually double checked my run time, but it would only be about 45 minutes okay. for the 10K. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of obstacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah four and a half minute Ks is just pedestrian, isn't <laughs> sluggish. it? Sluggish. <laughs> Real sluggish. <laughs> uh, unreal. All right, we'll, we'll get, get stuck into some, um, yeah, some ultra trail sort of chat, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Most, most people sort of had this race pin as a bit of a battle between you know, typical sort of experienced trail runners, Vlad Chatroff, Ben Duffus were supposed to duke it out at the front of the race. And um, yeah, I guess one of them was supposed to win. And, and so I guess, do you know these people and what were your expectations around racing with them? I didn't really know them. I've got a couple of um, a couple of friends who are from like Central Coast, Newcastle and stuff. And that's, I think that's where Vlad is yeah, from. Right, yeah. So they did mention him before the start of the race. Mm-hmm. But um. All I really did was, uh, when the start list was released, I, I probably looked at the top five or six guys and I just Googled it. I just um, searched them on Instagram. Yeah. Just so I could put like a face behind the, it was purely out of curiosity really. So you were going to sort of Put a, fa- a face behind the runner. <laughs> and I saw that, um, I saw that Ben had, had recently raced really well at six foot. <laughs> and I saw that Vlad's sort of a bit of a experienced He's sort of he's he's like the the old guy on the block as well. He's got the experience and the smarts and obviously the fitness as well to, to win the race. But I um I also looked at uh, Jono. So the guy he got second in twenty nineteen, obviously. Yeah. Um, and my race tactic that was my race tactic for the the actual event was to pace off him. Stay with Jono. Yeah, he certainly knows what he's doing. Because I'd never yeah I'd never um, paced. 100k yeah. and I didn't really know what I would run it how I would pace it so mm-hmm. my my goal was just to follow yeah yeah did he know you were using him as a pacer no I kind of um I was pretty subtle about how I was following him <laughs> I, I didn't run on his heels the entire time I was sort of some at some points I would have been 30 seconds behind him mm-hmm. another point I would have been half a breath behind him yeah. but yeah. um I wasn't just like a Sort of, but I wasn't didn't want to bug him, bug him either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, just well, brought it up when you passed him. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Thanks for the toe. <laughs> you paced it really well. Yeah, you'd want to after. I think he's done eleven or twelve. I think you'd yeah. want to know what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. He had a tough day though. I think John. Yeah. Finishing twelve hours, which is just appalling, you know. <laughs> Sluggish. Sluggish twelve. Coming from my twelve forty. There you go. Um, got to listen to question coming from Ben Kubra. Yes, yeah. was the 50 kilometer run with 3,000 meters of elevation gain five weeks before the ultra trail a good indication that you were targeting the race? <laughs> yeah, that's a fairly good indication that I was um, going for the race. <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> was that your first big sort of ETA hit out? No, my first big hit out was um, there's a, a famous set of steps in Wollongong called Sublime. Yeah. And if you're, a, if you're a, an influencer, you sort of everyone knows what sublime is you're there and you're taking pictures and, yeah, yeah. um it's also another set of steps that 
ultra trail runners from Illawarra will use mm. as like their key preparation for, for UTA. I had a couple of friends who have done UTA in the past and I, I know they've mentioned it casually. So my first key session was I did six uh, times up that climb. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much the, the muscle damage from coming down it, I couldn't walk for, <laughs> I could walk, but only straight legged for yeah. about four or five days. Is that right? That, right? Yeah. Wow. It's so specific, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well, especially coming from triathlon yeah. to, you know, to suddenly doing stairs and a lot of stairs. I just know that, the, yeah, the, the eccentric loading on the way down, um, it just uh, upregulates the shock proteins in the muscles. So that was the adaption that yeah. I wanted from that session. Yeah. Yeah. It to be made. And obviously made in a quick space of time. So well, interesting. Well, yeah, it was, it, I was very surprising because I did it six times that, that day and then I came back um, about a week and a half later yeah. and did it 10 times. Mm-hmm. And after that, that time when I did it 10 times, I was able to run the next day. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was actually shocked at how quickly my body picked up that yeah, yeah. that change and, and adapted to it. That's amazing. It's pretty, pretty impressive. And word on the streets is on the Monday before Ultra Trail 100k. Someone's been looking at my Strava. You, you may well have done Sublime Stairs 12 times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good tape. Good taper. Is that just purely psychology yeah. or do you think that was beneficial? Um, I, it, it made a couple of points really. I wouldn't, Probably prefer to do it on the Sunday. Yeah. But that, that because the um because so many people would walk that set of stairs, I couldn't have done a proper session, so I had to wait mm. until the Monday. So I was nervous about being able to recover in time. With that being said, I've always found I do race quite well when I come into the races pretty uh, red hot. Yeah. And I would call that quite red hot. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just know that if I'm if I'm fresh coming into the race, I'm never too far away from sort of peak performance, not really under a great deal of fatigue. Yeah. I can absorb something like that in five days and, and still turn up and and be okay for the actual race. So interesting. Yeah, it's just, it's just what has worked for me in the past. Yeah. I know when I was younger, I used to do, um, for, an, for a half Ironman, I'd go out, so we'd normally race on a Sunday, I would go out on the Friday mm-hmm. and do a five or six hour ride. Yeah and then recover on the Saturday and race on the Sunday. I just found that my legs felt better. That's amazing. Yeah. If, if you had some coaches just tearing their hair out about that strategy. Yeah, well I find if I come into the race too rested, mm. my legs just feel sort of doughy and tired. So I, I just do what feels right for me. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's part of, part of that. And the other reason I did that session um, yeah, because I was, to be honest, I was arming, arming and arming about if I wanted to do that session before the race. And the other reason I did it was I need, needed to trial the shoes that I wanted to race in. Let's talk about shoes. We should talk about so shoes. so many bloody people asking me about your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone wants to know about the next percent for a 100-kilometer techie trail race. So they were clearly the right choice in the end, but were you confident they'd hold up over that time and that terrain? Um, anyone that's ran in their shoes knows that they are notoriously unstable. Mm-hmm. So, um, to be honest, yeah, I needed to, in the training session before the race, I needed to use them just to actually see if I could run trail in those shoes, like stairs and downhill rocks and whatnot. So that was, that was the other reason behind that session. Um, and in the actual race I did, 
I did roll my ankle. I went over on my left ankle at about the six or seven k mark. Hmm. So just that first little bit where you shoot down Perfect. further steps, and well, you go down further steps and you shoot out towards the step, the golden stairway. Yeah. I did actually roll my ankle there, and that kind of it made me panic a little bit. It shocked me, and it made me think I have to really focus on my foot placement hmm. because I did think. Um, I wouldn't say it was an advantage, but I did think that wearing the shoes on the, the fire roads and the, and the road sections would be more comfortable than the trail shoes. Mm-hmm. And the other reason why I wore them was because that I hadn't done any running in, um, in trail shoes. Yeah. And most trail shoes are quite aggressive in terms of their offsets. Yeah. Um, and I knew that if I, if I went from doing all my running in a 10 or 12 mil offset, and dropped down six weeks before the race and started running in a um, in a lower offset trail shoe. I knew that my there's a high chance I would hurt my legs. Yeah, yeah, kill his calves. I do. Sure. I am a fan of running in um, in lower offset shoes. I just hadn't been doing it over the summer, so I just ran in what I was most used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then yeah, had to really focus on foot placement throughout the race. So mm-hmm. anywhere where there was rocks or steps or whatever. Yeah had to be 100% on every every placement. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you, you gotta be watching your food together regardless of what shoes you're wearing. The shoes aren't gonna be magically stopping you from you know slipping or sliding. But yeah, were, were there points during, there's a couple of technical downhill sections coming off Iron Pot, for example. Yep. Were you cursing the shoes at that point or was it, was um, it okay? I've, I've never really, like, I was never cursing the shoes. I was just being more cautious in them, yeah. Mm. It's not such a bad thing at all. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't didn't hit the deck at all, you rolled your ankle but you didn't fall over? No, I rolled my ankle but I caught it and basically, um, for me, if I roll my ankle it will just hurt for maybe one or two minutes. It never will stop me from running Mm. and then I'll continue to run and the pain will go away. So that was sort of all it was. It actually just gave me a little bit of a shock, really. Mm-hmm. Nice. Another thing that happened with the shoes is, well, I'm not sure if it's the actual road shoes, but um, yeah, I was hitting my toes on the, the front of the toe box quite a lot throughout the race. So I've got a lot of black toes yeah, 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 yeah. at the moment. I, um, I got some advice after the race was to cut my uh, toenails really short, but I didn't get that advice until after the race. So that's something I would do before the next one. But, um, they might all fall out and you don't have to worry. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, the falling out, it's not the first time I've lost a toenail. No, it's a sign of a trail runner. Yeah. I'm sporting a couple of dead ones as well. Happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom Tom DeCano on previous podcasts said that. Just cut them down as short as humanly possible. Yeah. Apart from that, it's going to happen. So. Yes, yeah, so I had a... Um, on, my, on my left foot, I had a blister under my left... Uh, one of my smaller toes on my left foot, mm. and it popped about the 72 kilometer mark. And I've never had, that's actually a feeling I've never had before. Yeah. I've never had like a blister. So the nail kind of, it was like underneath the nail. And I felt it pop while I was doing a descent. You know in that section we go up and down all the stairs? I was going down a set of stairs there, and I just felt it pop. I go, oh, this, this doesn't look good. <laughs> As a nurse, you should be used to, you know, bodily fluids. Going yeah, your yeah. Shouldn't worry. Uh, yeah, well, it did concern me because it was quite painful, but again, after about uh, maybe a kilometre or two, the pain just became, it just sort of became the new baseline, yeah. and I was able just to carry on, yeah. It's tough. 
And you've incorporated those shoes into your UTA 100 trophy I've seen. That looks pretty impressive. Yeah, so I've, um, while, while the training's been a little bit lower at the moment, I, I built a trophy at home. Yeah. That's why I don't have my belt buckle on at the moment. If, if you had a look at the trophy, you would see that it's um, it's a part of it as well. Of course. I uh, yeah, I got this amazing sort of Aboriginal artwork when I crossed the line, and I was wanting wanting to preserve it. And I was sort of just thinking what I could do, and I just sort of um, got on the tools a, a couple of days ago. I've been thinking about it for a week or two, but I got on, got on the tools a couple of days ago and just did it all myself and build it all up my um my old man's a builder so while i was doing triathlon when i was younger i would sporadically do work with him as well so i've probably done about three years worth of uh random building projects and stuff so i do know how to you got some skills i do know how to use the hammer but, <laughs> um but yeah <laughs> three years more than us <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love which in the hole personally, but yeah. <laughs> while, while we're on shoes, should we go to Sean at Ranella? Yeah, yeah, we'll chat about my like, uh, specific trail running shoes that Salomon Sense ride for. I might have to chat to him about some carpet plated ones next time. Yeah. Alright. Okay, we're down here in Cronulla. Beautiful uh, day, winter Sydney day down here at uh, Ranella store with Sean the Godfather Tyndale. How are you, mate? Good. Good, Hattie. How good. are you? Yeah, mate, I'm good. Good. Recovering nicely from Ultra Trail. What about you? It's, yep, three weeks is up, so yeah, I've just... Just? just yeah. Have you had a run at all? Or? I haven't. No. I haven't. Uh, I haven't even gotten on the bike. It's sort of... Uh, <laughs> so yeah, next week, I'm... Yeah. Just I'll working on the hydration strategy? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Good. Actually, I'm doing a bit of yoga now. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah? So... How are the hips? getting more flexible and less painful <laughs> so yeah. it's a tough start yeah we talked to uh Paige Linegar last week she's a bit of a ultra runner slash yogi and uh seems to be a tough double that's for sure yeah well I'm enjoying it yeah. I've done one <laughs> I've signed up for six so hopefully it'll help with my flexibility and I'm sure. uh yeah I'm my sure. training in the future unreal mate we're here yeah. to talk shoes of course we are. so the Salomon Sense Ride 4 been. Sense Ride 4, yeah. What do you got for us? It's, to me, uh, it's Salomon's go-to shoe. Mm-hmm. It's it's our number one selling Salomon shoe. Yep. Uh, the Sense Ride is obviously Sense Ride 3, 4 through. We've, we've had it um, every year. And the four improvements that they've made from the three mm-hmm. uh, have been a winner. Yeah, uh, feedback's been really, really positive. Um, what have they done since you've you've had the um, you ran the four? Yeah, four, yeah. Ran, running with the four, how do you find them, mate? They're uh, the most cushy, comfortable trail shoe I've ever stuck on. To be honest, um, yeah, run some some big long distances in them, ultra trail hundred k, and they yeah. were fantastic, mate. They, it's a um, good it's a good training and racing shoe yeah. um, for for you know technical trail fire trials um it's a it's just a, it's just that go-to shoe that seems to fit yep. the majority of people uh you know running styles or, or feet so mm. um it's just the main improvement which has been is been the upper and the heel counter from the three to the four yep um the three had a really bulky sort of spongy uh heel counter mm. they've now redesigned it and it's got like a it's really sort of a taking a lot of the bulk away yeah, it's a lot okay. thinner and it's a lot stronger they've put these little padding rails that sort of lock your heel down yep um 
and it make it really comfortable and obviously 10 grams lighter. Yeah, right. Um, well, so, they, they certainly feel lighter than the threes. Mm, and, um, yeah, yeah two, as I said, super comfortable shoe. 290 grams. Okay. So definitely uh, light enough to race in over yeah. that sort of, you know, trail, long distance kind of stuff for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the counter counter grip outer sole, uh, rubber compound is great on wet, mm. dry, hard, loose surfaces. Yep. And really, really durable. Um, I've never, ever seen... One of these come back flat on the bottom. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, every you know, every every other part of the shoe either wears out before that outer sole. Is that right? Um, I've never had one come back or com- people complain about anything coming off or tearing or it's okay. just a yeah, which is a, which is a good thing. Oh, um, man, it's fantastic. A lot yeah. of the um, trail shoes are sort of burned through the lugs in certain areas, but yeah, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. you got your rock plate through this bottom as well that just protects uh from from rocks and uh stuff protects the feet mm. uh the midsole is an OptiVive, uh which is a combination of foams mm. um two foams one dampens so it gives it that shock absorption and the other one gives it a bit of propulsion so it gives it that spring. rebound spring okay. yeah so there's enough there to give you a bit of comfort yep but it's not chunky and bulky yeah yeah um so yeah, for that, so it's it's a really really uh, as as we spoke before, two hundred ninety grams, really really light. Yep. Um, the sensor fit upper, as well. Um, they've done a few changes to that, so the upper is really nice and breathable. So yep. it, it obviously, if it's wet, it dries a lot quicker. Um, it's a nice snug fit upper as well. Yep. Um, that hugs the foot, and they've got these overlay welds uh that protects the foot so there's no stitching there it's just no sort of, stitching yep. stitch free yeah and yep. it just it protects the the toes and obviously you can see there it, it's giving the toe um protection and stopping the toe from coming through yeah yeah, yeah. perfect yeah. yeah they certainly dried out real quick on the trails um there was a bit of mud and water out there on the track for ultra trail and mate there yeah, they dried out really quickly and no, it's um, good they certainly handled a lot of the time when you're wearing trail shoes, my, my biggest complaint is that they actually become slippery on wet sort of wooden and rocky surfaces. Yep. But these didn't have that situation at all. They, they definitely clung to that sort of wet stuff pretty, yeah, pretty comfortably. Um, and then, yeah, they're light enough to get up the hills without any drama there. And, and, and I reckon people coming from a road background will yeah be quite comfortable jumping into these shoes because they've got yeah. that... They've got that sort of stack height. They're yep, comfortable. Eight, eight mil drop. Yep. So it's an eight mil drop. So it's a lot of people are wearing that eight to ten mil road shoe. Yeah. Um, so it's just an easy transition yep. to go into. And uh, yeah, I mean, as well, the only probably negative, but look, that's a small thing. Is the the quick lace, which is Solomon are renowned for. Yep. Um, I always find it hard to oh, tuck, yeah. tuck the laces away. I don't know whether the tongue just seems to. Yeah, that's my only little bit. That's something you can just a bit fiddly. Get there. around a bit fiddly, yep. um, but good quick lace system. Put it on, slip it in, tore it up. But they've got a little garage underneath the top of the tongue that yep. tucks away that excess laces, which to me is just a little bit lower. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Because once you've done it up, it's hard to get that lacing under there. Yeah. 
I guess once you got them on, you don't need to muck around them. with them too much anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't find that too much of a drama. I do love that lacing system. It Just is. It's good. Never People have to stop through a race. They're never coming undone. So. And I think yeah. uh, the years and years that we've had the shop, I've only ever, it must be strong stuff because I've ever only had one yep. person come in and say that it's broken. Is that right? Yeah. One in all that time. One in all. Oh, and they do, they do sell replacements. Yeah, okay. If anybody, yeah. Oh, mate, spectacular. I love the shoes. I'll uh, definitely be using them for some long training stuff over the next six months for sure. Excellent. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think it's a it's anyone who, uh, yeah, wants a nice light, repul- you know, trial shoe. Yeah, bit, I of, think bit of performance there. Performance shoe, yeah. It's uh, it's an easy transition and, yeah, Solomon Centride 4, it's, it's a winner. I'll get on down to Ranala, have a look at those ones, and uh, don't forget to tell them Running Matters sent you down for a little bit of a discount there with the exactly. guys. Exactly, yeah. What about um, Salomon? Are they are they sticking carbon plates in shoes like everyone else at the moment? Not yet. Not yet? No. Okay. I wonder how far away that's going to be with a trail shoe, carbon plated trail shoe. What do you think? It's... In the works. Okay, it's in the works. I'm hearing. I'm hearing whispers. I'm okay. hearing whispers. Right. Yeah, but we'll uh, watch, watch this space. Yeah, right. Eh? Interesting. I was yeah, just talking to Matt Pillow at the moment with his uh, carbon shoes on right now. Yeah, so, yeah. Hey, it's, it can't be far away. I can't I imagine. I think it's coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, watch well. this space, and we'll yeah. We'll chat about that soon, mate. I'm It'll be interesting because to me, yeah, it goes against trail. The foot wants to move. And, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see the concept of what they come up with. Yeah. Well, I guess when you got the winner of Ultra Trail 100 wearing carbon plated road shoes, then you've got to start you asking questions, yeah, don't you? Exactly. So, yeah. You, you can't just uh, trust the you know, the current thinking. You've got to keep exploring new options. So, yeah. anyway. And once one does it, they'll all follow. Bloody oath. Exactly. <laughs> I'll be on it. Yep. If he can win it. I'm going to wear them too. <laughs> anyway, we'll check it out. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, mate. We'll um, we'll, we'll chat soon. Thanks, Hattie. And we're back. And we're back. That was a good chat for Sean. It was. Great shoes, actually. Mm. Very comfortable. They weren't 9 out of 50 shoes, unfortunately, for me. But, uh... No, no. <laughs> next, next year. Next year. I've got a listener question, too. It's uh, from Pete Clifford from HTP. Ah, I know Pete very well, yes. Yeah, so Pete said to say congratulations on your win, and he wants to know um, when you're going to leave the dark side of trail running and come back to triathlon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I haven't been gone for very long. (laughs) (laughs) You're a jealous man, Pete, didn't you? Yeah. It it would have only been... um, the end of March when I was standing around at Wollongong Triathlon having a good chat with Pete, yep. watching a few of his athletes go around. Um, I've known Pete for a long time really. Uh, when I first started doing triathlon, so I would have been a 16 year old when I first met Pete. He was in charge of a program called TAP uh, Triathlon, it was like a performance program for upcoming junior triathletes mm-hmm. and he was like my first sort of secondary coach that I was was ever involved with so I've known Pete for for many years now yeah, we've had Pete on the show before he's a really uh, enthusiastic knowledgeable guy he's hung around always have it's always good to have a chat and I, yeah like you said he's so enthusiastic and passionate about mm. about triathlon so I've always got time for people or well, any sort of endurance sport really he's I've always man. got time for people who are like that yeah he's a good man so mate in a time of Nine hours fifty. Is is there room for sections that don't go to plan? Did you have any dark spots along the way there? Um, never had any dark spots. I did go out 
cautiously. And I, uh, so when I started, I actually wore a long sleeve thermal running top. Um, I, ran, I wore that for a couple of reasons, really. I was a bit unsure about how I would manage in the cold. Being a Dubbo boy, I prefer the heat. To, I prefer to run in the heat. Um, so I did that to, to, one, slow me down a little bit. For the, and, and I planned to take it off at the 47k mm-hmm. checkpoint. And then, um, so that, yeah, that, that helped me pace it and just sort of keep that first half of the race as casual as possible. I was trying to sort of imagine that I was still at home in bed before, before actually starting the run, <laughs> trying to let a few kilometers tick by without actually mentally being in the Bring race. And then, um, and then, yeah, I was able to make that change and sort of start progressing into the race. I was still unsure about the course. So as, as every staircase hit, I didn't know how long it was mm-hmm. or, or sort of what, what was coming up next. I had a, a really general idea. Mm-hmm. And when I say really general, I mean like, like very general. I, uh, I'd never been up further steps before. I actually YouTubed a video of the further steps on the, the Wednesday or the Thursday before the race. It's the best way to try it, yeah. YouTube. Do you see all the souls left out there when you finish? Oh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so that's, that was pretty much me, but I was just watching stuff. <laughs> I, I knew that I'd done, I knew my preparation was pretty good and I'd been told by people that I'd sort of, sort of hit it spot on in terms of what I'd been doing, but I just didn't have any, any sort of knowledge of the course. Like, for example, Iron Pot, which I've since learned about what section that is in the course. It's quite a um, brutal little yeah. hill there and the, the downhill is very tough. I was just taking it step by step and, um, and as it came, really. And I, I thought that there was going to be one creek crossing in the entire run, yeah. but there was about 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I remember at one point we went across the creek and then back across the creek and then back across the creek and then back. And I knew that my shoes didn't, um, didn't drain very well mm. when they're wet, so I was trying not to get my shoes wet. So I was like running along the creek a little bit, hopping across a couple of rocks. Yeah. And, and I was sort of trying just to preserve my comfort for as long as possible. Yeah. So did the, the, the next percent fill up with water? Like I actually, I got the toes wet once or twice, mm-hmm. but I never, never submerged the shoes. You so managed to stay dry? I managed to stay dry. Oh, that's impressive. It's impressive. That's um, you're not not really a true trail runner at that point. No, you, so? never, you never make a bushy. You gotta no, run straight no, through I'm, the puddles. Well, yeah. If you go back to um, with the Trek Triathlon in February, we, there's one section in that trail run where you go about 150 meters along a creek. Yeah. So you're literally you're in knee deep water, yeah, just right. wading down this creek. And you're not wearing those shoes. I'm guessing you wearing. I did wear them actually. Did yeah. you? Wow. I wore them for that, that run as well. And that was a different story. I did hit the deck um, uh, three times in the 10 kilometers. Okay. So that, that's like the technical yeah. aspect of that, really. And that didn't put you off wearing them in, in UTA? Uh, I guess it was sort of, I didn't think I could adapt it to a trail shoe in, mm-hmm. in the amount of time. So I guess it was my only option. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one both races. Yeah, no, I yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not afraid about yeah. Hitting the deck. Hitting the deck. No, yeah, I've seen a bit of claret on your Instagram page. Actually, there's, there's a few yeah. cuts and grazes. Well, I think it just comes naturally with learning to mountain bike. Really, I um, mm. every time I try and do it, go go hard, you end up washing out or never never doing anything too extreme. But it's not it's not uncommon to. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah, I think it actually helped with my confidence. 
for UTA as well. There was points when I was jumping objects and um, hitting logs or whatnot, and actually not actually knowing where my foot was going to land. So I was having to improvise while I was mid-flight and and come up with a, some sort of land, <laughs> some sort of landing for the end. But at, at the same point, in in order to do that, you've got to be not afraid to. Yeah. It, could, it could go wrong. You might you might hit the deck. So you've got to be not afraid to to have that go wrong as well. It's much better to to hit the deck with your um, with your shoulder and, and and not hurt yourself rather than roll an ankle. Yeah, yeah. So true. It's, if you if you sort of if you fight it too much, you, you'll you'll roll an ankle and you'll do some damage. But if you just sort of go with the flow and you're not afraid to roll into some leaves and then pick up and go again, you'll be pretty much unscathed. You might have a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of bark off, and that's about it. You're a braver man than I am. Broken sure. <laughs> like someone that rolls around on the dirt a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, had, I've had a few people asking. Um, you know, obviously nine hours fifty is a very impressive time. Have you looked and reflected back on it and thought, you know, I could make up 10 minutes here, I could make up 20 minutes here? I do, yeah. I um, I do think that I've got more time up my sleeve for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my nutrition, I did nail my nutrition on the day and I didn't have any GI issues or anything like that. Uh, and that's just coming from my, my background of triathlon racing where you're starting the half marathon completely... Yeah. Um, glycogen depleted and you're just having to manage for the next hour and a half while you get to the finish line but um, in terms of time I, yeah I do think I've got I do think I've got 10-20 uh, minutes up my sleeve okay. if I came back with a bit more knowledge and basically parts of the course where I could run more aggressively and then not not um, fading as much in the in the closing stages as well yeah. And I would change my preparation a little bit. Um, one thing that I didn't really prepare for was like the really steep incline walking. Mm-hmm. So that, that felt foreign in the race. So that was um, that was a part that didn't feel natural. I was used to like running up climbs up to 5 or 6%, but I wasn't used to that yeah. 15, 20% inclines that we, 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 that we were getting. Yeah, where you're, where you're like power walking. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. What, what, what about um, as far as the transition sort of stages there? Like, um, have you, I guess, you support crew in the same way before? What were you requiring from your support there? Um, yeah, so I didn't really... I know you could do drop bags and stuff. And to be honest, the day before the race, it was all... Because I was still only packing my... Getting my kit ready on the Thursday and the Friday. So I didn't know my waterproof or my my merino wool or all that that sort of gear mm. and then the day before the race having to to pack those gear bags i didn't actually i decided that would be more complicated than it was worth so i had a um had a crew member there for for the race and basically she so i knew i had three three uh, stops throughout the race mm. throughout the run to to pick up or drop off and basically just planned my nutrition around that really mm. I had um I went very light with my my water so because it was cold as well mm. you, you can afford to I could afford to go a little bit lighter and um and again running in Dubai I'm used to running dehydrated as well but um I had two 750ml water uh, packets mm. but they were just stowed away I had no no ever intention of using them and I had a 500ml bottle and a 250ml bottle 
That was all you took from... That was all I was taking, and I was rotating those at the aid stops, okay. and then refilling if I wanted. Yeah, right. So how, how much do you think you would have got in during the course of the day, fluid-wise? Ah, oh, fluid... Um, I, to be honest, I haven't thought about that. All I really thought about was having... If I had... if my, I knew if my thirst mechanism was working throughout the run, I knew that I was in a good condition. So it's when, it's when you stop getting thirsty that things are bad. Um, I, I think at, at the 32k point, I'd finished my 750 mils and I went, I filled up the 500 once mm -hmm. and that got me through 47. Yeah. And I know that each checkpoint I was sculling a whole bottle and then going and running out the, out the gate as well. Okay. But in terms of, I haven't actually added up that, Overall, that yeah. number. Yeah, I didn't, that didn't seem, the amount of fluid intake wasn't, didn't seem important to me. It just was, I, I drank when I was thirsty, mm -hmm. and I would rather um, I would rather carry the fluid in my body rather than on my back. <laughs> Makes sense. So, so I would uh, drink uh, like a bolus of of fluid, five hundred, seven hundred fifty mils, and I would drop the intensity of my running for the next five or ten minutes. Just so I would absorb, to absorb that, huh? and then I would carry on. Yeah, oh. that was sort of the planning that I was doing. I yeah. love it. Complete lack of planning. It's awesome. <laughs> <And> I, was, <laughs> I was doing that a little bit with my nutrition as well. I would always, when I had a gel, I would intentionally back off for a minute, mm. take the gel, make sure it was settled in my stomach, mm. and then and then carry on. Mm. And that's just part of what I've learned to do from my triathlon racing tries. background. Yeah. Who, who was crewing for you? Uh, my girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she, she knows she's trying. Done? Yeah, she knows what she's doing. She does tries as well. Um, to be honest, uh, my instructions for her were pretty simple. Really, it was just carry this backpack around, and I'll grab out and I'll grab out of it what I need. I just told her to refill my bottles, and um, have have a bag of gels. I did have a couple of Snickers bars and some pretzels and stuff there if I felt I wanted one of them. But throughout the entire day, I didn't feel like I needed any any sort of so just gels and food. gels and water all day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of enough to get me home, really. And I was having coke at the aid stations, flat coke, and that was m more of a more of a morale boost, mm. I guess, than anything else. It's sort of old school endurance athlete to take mm. coke while they're training. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit of that's rubbed off on me over my years of Mine of training. Works. So that's more of a it was more of a morale boost and like a and like yeah. a rather than specific nutrition at that point. Yeah. yeah, it's unreal, mate. Worked perfectly. What about um? I mean, there's two different races going on during the course of that day. There's a 50k race and a 100k race. Um, I imagine you would have started passing the 50k guys reasonably early in the day. Um, yeah, I think is, it, is that a boost for you, or is it a bit of a hindrance along the way? Um. Well, yeah, what I'd been told going into the race was that the first 50k. Uh, well, could have been a little bit boring. Mm -hmm. In the second 50k, you had tourists walking around, clapping, people, a few more people cheering, um, and you were passing other runners and stuff like that. So I was expecting, because you're on that first 50k, you are literally you're out there quite solo. Yeah, yeah. The only point you got to see people was at a few random checkpoints and whenever they were taking your timing splits. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, it was just you and you and the dirt and the hills, pretty much. Mm -hmm. But um. Yeah, that second, the second part, and yeah, had people, you had people sort of clapping as you went past, and 
In terms of a hindrance, yeah, um, I was having to yell, so I was I was obviously not 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 wanting to, but it's much more polite to to yell when you're uh, five or ten seconds away, mm. or maybe just five seconds behind someone, than it is just to uh, run straight past. Yeah. So I was just yelling. I think I yelled "run it back" probably about a thousand times <laughs> in the race. Mm. But that was enough for people just to step to the side, and all I would do is I would, I wouldn't I didn't want to um, I didn't want to stop my momentum. So every time I changed momentum, that was like energy and fatigue. So I kept my momentum the same. I would warn them early, and then if if they didn't sort of step off, I could just run and throw my shoulder back, one shoulder, and twist around them quite easily. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, that was pretty much how I was getting past people. I did pass through 50k runners early mm. and they were a lot more casual than um, than what I was at, uh, the level of intensity oh, that no. I was at. So they were sort of just, some of them would, there'd be three or four in a row and they would kind of just meander off to the side mm. and they didn't think, they thought that I was coming along at like a similar pace but mm. I was coming along at yeah. like double the speed and I was sort of on top of them before they have three steps. <laughs> um, and there was one point when there was a couple of tourists um, the exact point in the race, I is between sixty and seventy k's. I was coming, I was running along the road, and we ran through like a park, and then dropped down a, a set of stairs. And the, the trail took like a hard left, and you can actually see it on my Strava. I I made a wrong turn. Missed the trail, yeah. And um, there was like there was three or four flights of stairs, and at that point the markings were yeah there was like markings to turn left, but at that point I was running around um, three or four tourists who were also walking up the set of stairs. Mm. So I was concentrating on my foot placement and, and just going, going straight pretty much, and I missed that turn. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going all the way down the stairs, down, down a couple of ladders, and I got to like a T intersection. I was looking left, I was looking right. I couldn't see any pink ribbon. And then I was looking left again, and I was looking right, and I was thinking, oh no, where have I gone wrong? And I had to just backtrack. I think I lost like maybe a minute or two. We'll call it five. Mm. Uh, it definitely <laughs> wasn't five. I lost maybe a minute or two, but um, you don't want to be doing that at seventy k's. Uh, what, what I'm blaming is that the fact that they were passing on the left side of the trail, and I was focusing on my steps, and they were there. I didn't see the the turn. I know the turn you're talking about. It's you don't you easy need to, to miss. Yeah, yeah. Easy to miss. I hope you ran back to them and pushed them over. <laughs> the inconvenience. No, <laughs> I think by the time I got there, there was someone at that turn telling you very specifically go left here so yeah they probably weren't there in time not expecting yeah the, there, there was a there. when i went past there was an official at the top of the okay. stairs but not one at that set that actual left there yeah, yeah and normally they had the big um wrong way go back signs posted mm-hmm. but they actually didn't put any there either so it was kind of just a yeah it was kind of just a test to see if you were concentrating and i failed <laughs> 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 taking it well that's right yeah. and, and then I was sort of from that that point on I was quite nervous about finding, finding the right direction because yeah at the start I was able just to follow and mm. and I guess after that point there's not too many turns to make you know it's, yeah, yeah. it's pretty straightforward actually yeah. so yeah yeah not too bad at, at what point in the race were you leading from um it was oh it was not far out from the final checkpoint. When I say the final checkpoint, the final checkpoint where you could have aid. In that race, I, in my head, I literally only had, I said we got checkpoint one, two, and three. And it's just the three checkpoints where there was aid. Um, it was about the 74 or the 75 kilometer mark. Yeah. 
and it was up and down. There was a couple, there was a couple of like creek crossings, and it was up and down um, steps. And actually, if you look on my Instagram, there's a couple of photos of me running, and the the it's literally right when I was passing mm-hmm. first place. He was he was ten meters behind me, mm-hmm. and <laughs> if you look at my face in those photos, it's quite serious and um, game time. It it was definitely game time. I was sort of. I was trying to put on a bit of a facade that I wasn't tired. Mm. So when I, whenever I was passing them, I was like um, breathing through my nose and, and where there were steps that I would normally walk up to conserve my energy, I started to run them and then just, and then yeah, kind of just put the afterburners on. Such a great whenever afterburners. Whenever I was passing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the bluff. I love it. You it was definitely a bluff. Yeah, you weren't tempted to say go to the Carrington for a beer at the end? Well I didn't well I didn't actually know any of these guys. So whenever I ran past I just went this this silent mm. and I kinda I don't know, like it's it's I was I wasn't like very friendly, but I was just focusing on my race as well. I just sort of went silent and then just, just moved past and made sure that I moved on. Mm. Um no bum smacks. Quite quickly. There was one, one, one runner who did come back at me, and that was Brendan Davies. Mm-hmm. So actually, I dropped him on an uphill, and then he ran back up onto me on the next downhill, and I thought, oh, look, we might have a bit of a, a little bit of a contest here. And I, that's, that was, he was the only runner that did that. Mm-hmm. But um, the next uphill, I went, a, I went a little bit harder again, and then made sure I ran a bit quicker after that, and then carried on my normal pace. It's broken again. Mm. Wow. What about the idea of, you know, you, it looks like you started really conservatively and moved through the field, you know, the, the numbers, you sort of, you know, 30th place and then you, you, you charge through to first. Well, yeah, I think my first checkpoint, it wasn't, thir- it wasn't quite 30th, but the first checkpoint, I think I was 16th at the, at the 9th, okay? Okay. And then, um, I haven't actually gone back through and double-checked every checkpoint, mm-hmm. but yeah, there was only, it was only ever a couple of runners each checkpoint, and I wasn't really, I was just planning on running my, my race, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely was a tactic, and I had a had a little bit of a motto during the race, and it was kind of was don't ever take a fast step ever. So basically, the entire run, I never, I was never fully committed to a maximum effort. Mm-hmm. It was always just a little bit of effort. It was always a little bit of effort all day long. Yeah, you had another gear there. That was all that time. was the way I tried to run, and I knew that if I ran like that, my endurance would um, be able to shine through mm-hmm. through. But if I um if I did go too hard, uh, yeah, issues would have would have happened later on. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it's it's a lot of unknown there. Like it looks like your your longest run was sort of sixty odd k's in the in the lead 60, up there. Sixty five point nine four or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I think it was. That was my longest run. Yeah, and that was a few weeks before the race. But that was a um. It was a pretty brutal 65 k's. It was like it was in Wollongong. It was the only day I could do it really because I had to work for the next three days, and um, it rained the entire time. And there's a climb in Wollongong called Mount Kira, and I just ran up and down this climb. I ran up and down five times, mm. and that was my that was my run pretty much. On, like, on the road was it? Yeah, it was on the road. Yeah. yeah. In terms of well, like the fire trails and stuff in UTA, I don't think they're much different tool road like it's solid footing so mm-hmm. it's pretty much a flat surface the only difference is on the way down on the gravel you get a little bit of a skid when you put your foot down which is a little bit more forgiving than on a road mm-hmm. but in terms of 
in terms of training, I did. I was just more about spending time on the incline and also spending time running down the incline. Yeah. Was what I was focused on. Yeah. yeah, that's a serious training session, though, isn't it? Mm, definitely. Sounds like one of your ones leading up into Oxfam. Oof. Yeah, just yes, get, get nervous. But I don't recover. <laughs> you do. I had done. I had done some volume in my preparation for um, my off-road try in February. So I think I'd strung together about four weeks where I'd, I'd sort of ran more than a hundred k's. But I never actually did a whole, a great deal of volume for UTA. I kind of just went more towards um, specific sessions, going sort of much deeper in one off session and then recovering completely from it rather than a weekly volume. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess if I had like a longer time to prepare, I would look at that sort of weekly volume and build up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I kind of just went straight to being super specific. I knew I was fit. Had the base there. Had the base already there, yeah. Yeah, unreal. What what about conditions? Like it was a it was a shitty mountains day. It was snow. It was cold. Yeah, it was sleeting. It was it was well. I didn't feel cold. I actually felt hot the whole time. Um, so I I was quite comfortable. I knew that I did feel like the sleet and stuff on my face, but it didn't seem to didn't seem to phase me at all really. And you've you've done well in those conditions in the past, like. You know, the wind in Ballarat looked like some pretty shitty cold conditions. It was quite well, cold, so. yeah. So I'm a bit of a, I'm a bigger boy, so I do. Um, when I move along the the trail or the the road, I do uh, generate quite a bit of heat. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a colder colder climate doesn't um, doesn't really throw me out of whack too much. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it was sort of just. Uh, I, to be honest, when you're, you're running and stuff, you don't really... The weather doesn't doesn't really affect you that much. It was quite windy mm. during UTA, which I think would have affected the times more than anything. Yeah. There are plenty of points in the race where you were pushing into a crosswind or you're pushing into a headwind. And that was... You never really seemed to get a tailwind for that matter. It was always... <laughs> it was always what a headwind. Was what was that? <laughs> <laughs> it had to have been there somewhere that I didn't feel it. Ever. Yeah, you never seemed to <laughs> notice that one. But no. You always notice the headwind and the crosswind. But... Um, <laughs> So yeah, that was probably more of a, a play in terms of requiring more energy mm-hmm. to run the to run the course yeah. rather than cooler temperatures. Yeah, yeah. Um, you obviously lapped it up. Well done. I got a uh, listening questions coming from Chapo, friend of the show. Ah yes. Yeah. So you want to know were your support crew out for dinner when you crossed the line? Looks like you were too faster than no one was there to greet you. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I really only had the one support crew, uh, and and Chapo was at the finish line, so he, he became my impromptu support crew. I, he gave me a fist pump, and I had a quick chat to him. But in terms of like people on the scene, I didn't really know that many, and at that point, and I did know a couple, but they were still out running. Um, I think she got stuck behind. I don't know. I called her like two or three times and said like, "Where are you? I want to give you a hug." And said, after you finished. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, it's and then um, I think she got just caught up by the the road was blocked and she couldn't get to the other side of the finish line because as soon as you finish you get funneled out to the back towards like the the oval yeah. the oval and you got to come right around the slowway so yeah that basically that was that was all that was happening really I um <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky that she was there but because I did get as soon as I crossed that line I did get extremely cold very quickly i think that the temperature was like two degrees and the, the the wind was about 50 kilometers an hour yeah but um 
I took a couple of quick photos and the photos seemed to to last for a little bit too long and I had just had no energy left in my body and I just got like I would say I was like hypothermic quite quickly I nearly ended up in the medical tent just purely because I didn't I didn't put um my uh my like rain jacket and all that stuff on it's not thinking to that point are you I wasn't thinking, and I actually couldn't put it on either. I was, um, my legs started to lock up at that point. Mm-hmm. I'd hit the finish line and I'd stopped for about five minutes and stood still. And at that point, like I couldn't, um, I couldn't really bend my legs or walk properly. There was actually, the finish line was in the road and then there was like a gutter there. And I had to get up the gutter to get to like the little presentation area. And I couldn't get, I couldn't, there's like, so I'd done 5,000 steps in the race and I couldn't get up that gutter <laughs> for, the, for the, final, the final little photo. I had to, the guys that did the presentation actually helped me up the, up the step, yeah. That's unbelievable that you do 1,000 steps up further. Yeah, you yeah. Can't do one more. Yeah, that's the one step that got the better of me, that's really. Bizarre. The body switches off. You don't want a podium at that stage, do you? Like, to get to the top of the podium after you finish. The oh, if that was the podium, I wouldn't have got up it. I, <laughs> and if I did get up it, I wouldn't have got down, yeah. <laughs> um, Just leave me here. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty tough at the end there. And then I did get really cold from it, so. Mm. Yeah, I needed a little bit of help, but I couldn't put, I couldn't like untie my shoelaces because I was shaking, yeah. but um, managed in the end. Actually, they did want me to go into medical at that point. They did say, oh, I'll come into medical, but I didn't end up going into medical. I said, nah, um, I just went home for a shower instead, and then I actually went to the pub for a couple of beers. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I yeah. put myself in my own, own medical. <laughs> Your own hydration. Well, yeah, basically, so the, in my preparation, every time I'd done a big, a big um, run or whatever, that was part of my... That was actually part of my reward, really. I would I would let myself have two or three beers, and I would I would go to the um I'd go to the pub and I'd order myself a steak or whatever for dinner, and I'd spoil myself just a little bit. And if that's that was sort of how I rewarded my efforts for the day, and sounds good. To it's, me. it's a bit unconventional, but what keeps it's what keeps me happy, and it's what keeps me going. I don't, and don't think it's unconventional at all. No, that's <laughs> normal. Spot on. Yeah, we spoke, spoke to Deke a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Staking a couple of beers. I think it keeps on. you quite grounded as well. I think if you're so so tight that you don't let yourself relax at all, I think it shows in your run as well. 100%. So who carried you from the pub to the car? Who carried me? I was able to walk. <laughs> the legs worked. It was just very slowly. It was like I was, every step I was taking was like a, yeah. Like the tip end? It's about a half a foot. Yeah. yeah. Just like the people you look after when you're nursing, mate. Just shuffling down the hall. Exactly, yes. If I was in the hospital at that point, I would have had a little walking frame and a couple of people on either side of me helping me along. <laughs> um, uh, that's good. Mate, you talk about being um, a heavier athlete in terms of endurance sort of sports. What What weight did you race ultra trailer oh i didn't actually i didn't actually stand on the scales that um that close to the race i don't really like comparing my my body weight um and and my training really Mm. i think it's a bad mentality to get into i just think I think my body will shape itself if I do the if I sort of do the work. I'm fit, and um, I think my, I let my body sort of shape itself. I don't I don't try and chase a certain number or I look at a certain weight. But yeah, uh, in terms of my weight, I was probably 
I was probably around the 79, 80 kilo mark. Okay. It's just ruined my excuses for life, hasn't it? About the same, roughly. And my, <laughs> yeah, my, my body weight was sort of, I guess it will kind of naturally come a little bit higher. Mm. So I'll spend most of the winter actually running in about 82 to 83 kilos. Mm. And I actually think that's great, great strength training. Mm. Um, and then in summer, I will deliberately drop down a little bit. But again, I just let my body try and find its natural sort of racing weight rather than forcing it. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, when I did the try, I think I did drop down to about 77 through high intensity training and, um, and then like a small amount of, of restriction in terms of calorie. Mm. But um, I'd, never, I'd never restrict for, for more than a few weeks at a time. And I think it's a bad, a bad sort of mentality to get into to be. Res- if you're restricting your body calorie-wise year-round, how are you going to train properly and how are you going to sort of adapt from it? So, um, yeah, I think it's a bad menta- mentality that endurance athletes get into, where they're underfueled and yeah, and it seems to be where they, they come unstuck as far as you know hormonal change and injury and that sort of stuff. They're just exactly, and that's one thing that's not really looked into too much, but. Yeah. Hmm. So if you're restricting fats, your hormones aren't, aren't um, as revved up as they should be, and you're not gonna you're not gonna deal with the stress like you could if you were if you were sort of running on higher calories and a more balanced diet. But yeah, um, I've I've learned all these lessons through trial and error hmm. um, throughout my sort of racing career. So there have been times when I've dieted, and I yeah, for sure you will run really quickly for a week or two, but then you'll be injured. And in terms of long term, it's not. No, <laughs> it's not ideal. No, yeah, and that's I guess what most people are there for for the long term. So yeah, but I guess it's kind of funny because I won't really. If you look at me, I don't really come off as a ultra runner or a trail runner. So I think it's what I've what I've been able to do is is to get um, a higher level of strength from running at a heavier weight. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're if you're fit enough to carry the weight, I think for ultra running, I think it can be an advantage when you get to the end of the race and you're just running on whatever whatever muscle fibers you've got left really. You've gone through your A, your, your B, your C, your D, and you're literally running on on, <laughs> on fumes. On literally running on fumes. I think it, it's a little bit yeah, I think it can help a little bit towards the end. Definitely. With that being said, I've never I've never known what it's like to be a lighter runner and run, so Yeah. Yeah. You, you're I, 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 I'm, I'm who I am and I just sort of I try and be the best in terms of that, and that's it, really. Yeah, yeah. that's all we can do. I try not to be someone else, but good advice. What What about in terms of, um, I guess, from from that muscle fiber point of view, are you incorporating a bunch of heavy sort of strength work into your routine? That's one thing that I did do for UTA that I, um, I did sort of rev up a little bit, and I do think it was a a key factor. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. I never trained strength year round. I will just sporadically do it for a month here and a month there. Mm. And I just will do it like on intuition a little bit. I would normally prefer to um, do all of my strength training in, in terms of actual training. So I'd rather do like big gear work on the bike. Or I'd rather run hills or um, that I'd put paddles on in swimming. That's how I would normally prefer to incorporate strength. And that's more of a specific way to do it. But for UTA, I was literally just doing it to to try and prevent injuries and to build up as much resilience as possible. 
I um I was doing sessions at the gym where I was uh, I was on the leg I was using the leg press at the gym and where I would normally do 20, 30, 40 reps of a certain weight. I just, in the, in the space of a, a few sessions, I had that up to 100 reps. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was doing like, um, I was having like 90 kilos on the leg press and I was sitting there pushing it for 100 reps. And your legs would start shaking after about 60. <laughs> and then you just sort of, you'd push through the last 40. It would, didn't look, it would have not looked unconventional, but that was what I was doing. Because I was just giving my body, um, at this point when I knew I was racing, well, well I, had, I didn't know, but I just had it in the back of my mind. I was just giving my body every chance to, to, to do the race. And basically, uh, 100 kilometers, so I thought I had to do 100 reps. Okay. That was, that, that was my logic behind it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's insane. But, yeah. but hey, hey, great genius. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously helped you deal with the stairs pretty well. You know? I think it did. It gave you like a, sort of, a little bit of resilience and... I don't know. It just it. <laughs> yeah. Special band of craziness. That's yeah, good. yeah. That's yeah. good. All right, I've got to listen to a question coming from Nicole Bunyan, another friend of the show. Yep. Your facial hair seems to be in a pretty constant flux. What's the optimum length, style, and shape of beard for winning ultra marathons? Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, right. I did actually. I had a beard back in 2018, and I, I grew that beard just... Um, just to stir up my mother because it was my brother's wedding. It was my brother's wedding that year, and my and I just said, just decided to grow a beard just to just to rev her up a little bit. She didn't like it, but at the end of the day, she came around. But um, I always uh, I don't have a uh, I definitely don't have a plan with my facial hair. I mean, <laughs> best not to. I'll probably just clipper it uh, every few weeks. And sometimes I'll clip it every every four or five weeks, and sometimes I'll clip it every couple of weeks. So there's no <laughs> no structure. There's no structure. Yeah, you, yeah. Love it. Um, have you ever thought of going the De Castillo mustache, mate? Ooh, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would go with a mustache. Um, no, I never. I don't think that's really my style. I just sort of more just a scruffy, uh, scruffy, scruffy half beard is probably my my. My style, and that would be about it, I would say. Spot on. <laughs> well, it's working, so it's perfect. You can have a bit of a beard to, to protect your face a little bit from the elements and the sun. So in the summer, you want to keep it a little bit longer. Spot on. Yeah. Good sunset. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I got, a, I got one more listener question coming from Richard Pring. So he wants to know, was the gold belt buckle worth the loss of your toenails? Oh, um... Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the gold belt buckle. It's been it's been a little bit of an ongoing it's been a little bit of an ongoing joke between me and wanting to go um, like gold panning or, or or detecting for gold. Yeah. And I've always uh, I've sort of joked about it for a little bit, probably the last year or so, just wanting to do that. And I actually about a month or two, I actually ordered a gold a golden nugget on eBay, just randomly, just looked it up and just ordered one for about fifty bucks. And they were going to post it to me, I thought, because I was like, if I can't go out and find one, I'll just order one. <laughs> and the, the letter actually got lost in the post. So the I was, sit, nugget I was sitting at home waiting for this nugget to arrive, and I was getting all excited, and I was messaging my girlfriend, going, it's nearly here, and she's just thinking I'm stupid. And, um, and then it didn't, ever, didn't ever come, and I contacted Australia Post, and they were like, oh, it's just been lost in, in post. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a little bit sad. And um, at that point, I thought, 
well, UTA was coming up around the corner. I thought, well, if you can't... It was sort of probably taking a shortcut to order a gold nugget off eBay. So I decided I'd try and get the gold belt buckle instead. <laughs> that was probably... Let's put a positive spin on that. It was a bit of a joke. But yeah, that was kind of what... That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so much easier to run the money else 50 that, for UTA than order something over eBay. One of the things that keeps me entertained and keeps me up at night was yeah. that. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I did. Re- I do recall looking up the belt buckles about two years ago, and just curious about the time. And I think a lot of people get quite hard done by it because the cutoff is fourteen hours for the silver. So you could be in there running ten, eleven, twelve hours like every day of the week, and you're still just getting the silver buckle, which is the same as a few hours behind. I think. Mm. And then I thought, like, the, to the step going from a fourteen hours to winning it is a pretty big step, but. Um, so, so yeah, I think more. a lot of people get a little bit hard done by for that. So you reckon there should be more gold belt buckles out there? I think, yeah, I think the gold belt buckles should maybe go to a sub 10 time. Yeah. That way maybe if you podiumed and still did like 9 hours 40 or whatever you might, I think you've probably earned one, but, oh, but yeah, I'm not, no complaints now that I've got one. Like, I, I, yeah, they should stop giving them out now, I reckon. Did you wear it to the pub afterwards? I didn't have a belt with me, so not, not really a belt fan. I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want my silver one. <laughs> yeah. For the next two weeks. Yeah. I do have an Akubra hat that I I do call my podium hat. Yeah. So um, I was wearing it the next day, but I didn't have a chance to put it on without the finish line. Um, but that's probably about as far as I go in terms of in terms of random things that I would wear around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's a cool story. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's unreal. It's awesome. And so yeah. Uh, I guess yeah. What, what are we What are we looking at now? You you back back into some base training target something later in the year um yeah haven't haven't picked anything yet i've had i've got a friend who's obsessed with utmb yep and he's like sending me messages about it and stuff like that oh it sounds good but probably not at the current climate that we're in um i got another friend that was just tagging me in the the race over in new zealand in february tarawera tarawera yeah i'm still learning all the names of these races i actually don't really have much of a dialogue in terms of mm. upcoming ultra runs um so there's that one which does look like a fun run a fun race i mean mm. a bit more than a fun run but um i haven't i haven't picked anything yet to be honest okay that um, looks good. Mm. i do think i need to i do think i need to reset a little bit um, physically and probably mentally after UTA, I try and I'm, I'm well aware of what can happen if you do push too hard and you do overreach a little bit, especially if you're racing. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautious to steer clear of that and I'm just trying my best to maintain the life balance that I've got at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of open to suggestions. I will, I did enter the coastal, that was actually my first trail run that I've ever done. So I did enter the coastal classic last year but i i couldn't organize a crew member to do the run so i couldn't didn't have anyone to drop me off and then pick me up so i ended up not being able to do it but um i've got a few friends that are doing that one so that would be a fun one to do uh but in terms of in terms of future events i'm open to i'm open to anything really anything that excites me and gives me a bit of a feeling of adventure if I don't, if I don't have that excitement, I don't really want to go and do the event. So mm. that's one thing I, I do look for, and that's one thing that that is why I love the sport. So that's what that's what 
I would sort of look towards. Fantastic. A bit of a challenge, yeah. Yeah, oh, there's plenty out there now, that's for sure. Well, yeah, well, for me, UTA was definitely a, like a, it was a, a big unknown and I was, I was probably nervous for it. And, um, and then, and then, yeah, so yeah, I sort of rewarded with the, the end result, but going into it, it was a lot of question marks. Certainly, mate, but you are certainly answered the questions perfectly <laughs> well. So, mate, congratulations again. Um, if, if people want to jump on and, and, and follow you along, how's the best place to you know, check out Strava? Yeah, if you want to, if you want to look at my training, my, my Strava um, profile is, it's, uh, open access unrestricted so anyone can can see exactly the sessions that i'm doing and what what um what kind of training i did for uta uh i'm on instagram but i'm i'm uh i'm just there it's just a personal account really i'm on there with my friends and just having a sort of having a good time or whatever yeah is it just under matt pello it's matthew pello my instagram yeah yeah is that the same with strava what's strava my strava is Matthew Pellow. It's Matthew Pellow, yeah. It's either Matt or Matthew. I don't really have a preference. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's not too many other Pellows out there. So it's quite, once you type the name in, it's, there's not too many that will come up. Mm-hmm. But. Too easy. Cool. Yeah. Great Thank chatting. You. Great yeah. chatting with you. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. And thanks. thanks. Yeah, coming to base camp. Yeah, coming to base camp. Yeah, I was a little bit unsure about how I would handle the altitude, but... <laughs> you've, done, you've done well. You're experienced now. <laughs> the beer seems to be helping you as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, mate. We'll, uh, uh, we'll follow your progress closely. We might see in Tarawera. Or Rafferty's. <laughs> Rafferty's, you'll have to tell me about that one. We will. Thanks, Matt.